everyone. Welcome back to the second part in our Galatians series where Petey and I are expounding and going through the book of Galatians verse by verse from a Hebraic perspective, in the perspective that it was written in. Yes, last time we went through some important things in part one of the series where we went through Galatians 1 through chapter 2. And in that video, we laid some very important groundwork um, with regard to the cultural setting, a lot of the factions, a lot of the, you know, the beliefs that were going around in the first century, a lot of the things that Paul was dealing with in his day. And really, like we said, we needed to understand those things to really understand this book very like accurately. Mm. And so now we're going to jump into chapter three to four. So make sure that if you haven't watched part one of Galatians chapter one to two yet, our previous video, make sure you go watch that one yes. first, because otherwise this is not going to make much sense. All right. So let's jump right in. Galatians three, verse one. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Now, we can just stop there for a second, because what he just said there in verse two is so important for us to understand. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law? or any kind of works, mm -hmm. anything you've done, or did you get it by faith? Now, this is very important because when we talk about the Holy Spirit, yeah. oftentimes we find ourselves thinking that if I am doing good enough today, I'm, do I'm doing all these works, I've, I've prayed enough, I've done enough of this and that, then Holy Spirit, I will get the Holy Spirit. But when we look in the book of Acts, Acts 2, you know, those people, Holy Spirit is poured out on them. They speak in tongues of what did they do to get that? You know, what did they what works did they do? Was it because they have done enough of the law? They've kept enough Sabbaths. They've whatever. No, that's that's not how we receive the spirit of God by faith. And now from that faith, we are now going to be faithful to what he has asked us to do. We're going to keep his commandments and we can continue in that faith. But it's important to understand that the Holy Spirit, God himself, salvation, you know, being accepted by God, all these things, we cannot work for it because if we could, we wouldn't need Holy Spirit. If you could work for Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need Holy Spirit because the reason you need him is so that you can be a better person because that's what he does. So you can't if you could be a better person without him, you wouldn't need him anymore. So let's read on. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So yeah, right now as we're reading these verses, we really see the emphasis on faith that Paul is giving. And of course, if you have watched part one of this Galatians series, you know that the point that Paul is making in this entire book, this entire letter of Galatians, is the emphasis that we can only receive salvation, enter into the covenant through mm -hmm. faith, 
not through works, not through doing all these different things, even if they are very good things, even if they are things we should be doing. We cannot attain or gain salvation through those things. And so his emphasis really is on that. We attain that by faith. As we know, Ephesians 2, by grace, through faith we are saved. And so that you'll see is his, his main point that is running through this chapter, and it gets really good coming up in a second. Right, and, and when verse 3, he actually says, <clears throat> Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Mm-hmm. You see, he's saying that it's not your flesh, it's not what you do by your own works, mm-hmm. that is the thing that makes you perfect enough to be able to inherit salvation or the Holy Spirit or to even he even talks about he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you. Does he do so by works of the law? No, um, we don't do miracles or work, walk in spiritual giftings powerfully because we keep the law really well. There's people who keep the law very well by man's standards who don't have Holy Spirit, don't practice any spiritual gifts or miracles in their lives. So we know that it is by faith that these things come. We believe in God. Yes. We trust in him. We trust in his power. And just like he said, Abraham did that. Abraham didn't have all these beautiful works. He was basically like a pagan when we just met God. But he believed in what God told him. And from there, Abraham grew. And of course, then the works do follow. Yes, like Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Abraham, what? Abraham obeyed by faith first, and then he obeyed. That's the correct order. Not first you obey, and then if you're good enough, then you can attain, or then you can somehow... No, 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 no. That's the point Paul is making. That's why he brings up Abraham here, and that's why he's going to talk later about... He's going to mention Sarah and Hagar, and we'll get into that stuff later. Mm. It's faith first. Mm. You cannot do something wonderful and great like we talked in the last part in the series. Those who were coming saying, you must be circumcised to be saved. You must do this work to be saved. Mm. That's out of order. (laughs) Faith. And then you are saved. And that faith will then be faithful to walk in the example of Yeshua. And, you know, I want to just stress, you know, a lot of people I think may listen to this and be like, oh, yes, okay, I get that. I know that, you know, because this is kind of like what we've been drilled into from when we, if we, if we've come to it from a church or wherever, however you came to faith, you know, through what means we grew up or not. All of, oftentimes one of the big messages we get is we're saved by faith alone, right? Yeah. But the, the enemy is so sneaky mm-hmm. in this thing because, and this is why Galatians and a lot of Paul's letters are really hammering on this thing is because we find that the human nature wants to start doing this, wants to start doing things mm-hmm. and be perfected by those doings. And so I want to encourage you that you need to be very careful in your walk. You need to be very mindful of when you do something for God, when you're obedient to his commands, when you start studying his word, which is all good. Mm-hmm. You need to continuously ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? When you start walking in the Holy Spirit, when you're like, God, I want to walk in the Holy Spirit. I want to pray for the sick and see them recover. Why do you want to do that? Do you want to do it? Because you want to be accepted by God, because you want to gain something in that way, because you want to be more, you want to get saved, you want to get, you know, what is what is the reason you want something? Because the 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 the, the scriptures say we do we receive these things by faith. That means you didn't pay for it; he did. Because and, and you're not good enough to get it, but he was because he kept the law we couldn't keep perfectly. 
now that we now we received the Holy Spirit, now we can be better at doing so. But it's always been his perfection that made his righteousness right. that's imputed to us to make us righteous. Does that mean that we don't have to do anything? We don't have to keep the law? We, no, of course not. It means that now we have such a perfect example and the Holy Spirit empowers and His grace enables us to walk it out. Yeah, there's this very fine balance that we, we're sitting in right now. And it's, we find back here where what Paul is, he's writing from a perspective of writing to people, the Galatians, who were a people who were being fooled by, because he says, you foolish Galatians, you're being fooled by these men who are coming and putting things on you, teachings of men and doctrines of men saying you need to do this, 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 like, for example, circumcision to be saved. So that's his audience. So there's that issue of, you know, you, you, where it's not about faith, but it's about works to be saved. And then there's the other balance, the other side of it, where all the, the pendulum swings to the other way where it's now about, no, it's all about faith. I just believe and I'm right. But then my works don't, I don't even have to have works because I just right. believe intellectually. Like the Greek mindset of I can just know. And if I know that, like I gave the last video example, I know the sky is blue. I know the grass is green, but that doesn't impact me at all. But I believe it with all my mind. What about your art? Are you actually doing anything about it? Exactly. So we're sitting with this very fine balance that we need to order our hearts in and it's a it's a it's, it's a hard balance to sometimes walk so let's explore this further galatians 3 verse 7 know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of abraham and the scripture foreseeing that god would justify the gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to abraham saying and you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So in the first century, and some of it even has bled into the modern day of today, you know, there has but there was this idea and is this idea that your bloodline or your genealogy is what can justify you before God. So it's now it's not just even your works, but it's now even who your father is and who their father was were that justifies us before God. And here he starts talking about those that of faith are the sons of Abraham. And to just show you of this prevalent belief that you can be saved because of your genealogy. Um, in Matthew 3 verse 9, Jesus himself actually addressed this thing with the Pharisees. He says, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And that's exactly what Paul is even talking about. That from these stones, if you will, from anywhere, God can raise up children who will become part of Abraham's seed, if you will. So we need to remember that there with Abraham, God made a covenant called the Abrahamic covenant, which we're going to now start exploring here. We're going to start exploring in Galatians three and four, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant. What do these covenants do? How do they play interplay with each other? Right. And so, but with the Abrahamic covenant, we have this covenant where God comes to Abraham, says, Abraham, I'm going to give you, um, as many children as there are stars in the heavens, right? Like this offspring, this incredible thing. And 
he and, and, and Paul is now explaining to us what that really meant. And it didn't just mean physical line like Abraham's child's 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 child. And those are his children and they will be. No, the reason they can be as many as the stars in the heavens in the first place is because it is a spiritual family that is that that makes up this these children of Abraham, if you will, these sons of Abraham that Paul is not talking about. And that's why he says it is those of faith who become the sons of Abraham. Because when you believe in God, you are not immediately grafted into Israel mm. and as it wrote in, written in Romans. And now you become part of Abraham's family, basically. Right. To whom this promise was made and this promise was that there will be deliverance. There will be salvation that will come for everyone who is part of this family and of being sons of Abraham. And like Paul talks about in Ephesians 2, you know, referring to those who were born Gentile, born foreigners, you you who once were far off from the commonwealth of Israel, from the covenants of promise, without God, without hope in the world, through Messiah, show you have been brought near into be a part of Israel, not to replace Israel, not that replacement theology mess that we hear um, in some congregations and churches, but we become part of Israel, hand in hand, and there's no distinction because we should be united in faith. Right. And it's interesting then because in verse 8, he then says that, again, and the scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. So he's basically saying all these Gentiles, pagans, people who are from outside, who weren't Jews, who weren't native born Israelites or part of the tribe, 12 tribes, native borns. No, just like when they came out of Egypt, right into the Exodus. And there was this mixed multitude as it's written in the book of Exodus, right? That was pagan Egyptians mixed with native born Israelites coming out and then, you know, coming to the Red Sea and the rest of that journey. Even there, we have this idea coming into play where it wasn't just the night of borns getting salvation from God. It was those who had trust and faith, who believed in this great God of Israel and who walked and to follow him. And now again, this word, I just want to say this word, justify the Gentiles by faith. That word justify means to be judged um, as innocent or as guilty. And it talks about the big judgment of are you going to make it or not? Are you where are you going to go? What is your salvation? Again, this whole book is about salvation. Mm-hmm. And so reading on in Galatians three ten, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. One key word. I want to point out, and that is so important, is the word rely. Mm -hmm. What is the point of this book? Attaining salvation. So when Paul says, for all who rely on works of the law, let's look into what he's actually talking about. Yeah, I mean, when you you talk about rely, it's relying on it Mm -hmm. for the salvation of my soul. So I'm relying on what I do to be the thing that saves me. And then he actually says, well, if you are that person, if you are the one who is going to rely on the fact that you do this or that 
to save you, then you will be cursed. That's a curse that's going to come upon you. It's a vicious thing because you're actually then uh, departing from Messiah. Because if you're relying on yourself, then you th clearly think you don't need him. Because your works is what can save you now. And the, and the curse is this. The curse is real because the curse says is that if that, that if you everyone who relies on it has to be able to keep everything perfectly, because if you stumble in one point, you stumble in all. Now, we've heard that say, oh, you can't keep the law because if you stumble in one point, you stumble in all. So you might as well not try. Right. Just go commit adultery. Go murder. I mean, like, just do anything you want because if you <laughs> no, you, you're going to fail anyway. No. So just, no, you know, we've sadly heard that argument right. for why we, we don't even need to try. Mm -hmm. That's that's obviously ridiculous. Right. Um, but but the, but he does make a valid point here. Because he is saying, well, if you're talking about doing the law for salvation, not to just be obedient, not to be faithful to God, not to, to continue in the holiness that he walked in or to mm -hmm. walk like he did or to be his disciple or to show our love for him. These are the reasons that are good to keep it. But if you do it for, for relying on your works for salvation, it's a curse because you need to then keep every part perfectly. In James 2 verse 9, we read the following. If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said don't commit adultery also said don't murder. If you don't commit adultery but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So he's just saying, hey, you guys, you're trying to keep the, be saved by the keeping of the law. Yeah, you do all these great things well, but you fell in this other point. Now, because you fell in this other point, you're going to basically go to hell. You're going to go to Gehenna because this one point is going to be enough to condemn you. Because to make it, you need to be so holy as he was. You need to be perfect because he is. God is holy and perfect, pure. 100% no spot, no blemish. So if you have a spot or a blemish, that's enough to send you to Gehenna when you can't come into his presence. But if you have him because he was perfect, now we trust in his sacrifice. Now you have that, 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 that covering over you, if you will, where you can come into his presence. He washes you by that as white as snow. So reading on Galatians 3.11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Messiah Yeshua, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So there's a few things to talk about here. So firstly, in verse 11, he says that no one is justified before God by the law. Now, again, brothers and sisters, you know, often people read this and they, they like, well, you see, no, it doesn't matter to keep the law because you're not justified by God for it. So if you keep it or you don't keep it, it doesn't matter at all. But 
again, that word justified is in reference to salvation, to being justified before God or not in terms of salvation. And in fact, the word for justified in the Greek is dikaio, and it means to render, that is to show someone as just or innocent, free or not, or to be righteous or not. Okay, it's, it's a pretty simple word, but it does it does refer to are you innocent or guilty? It doesn't refer to are you a good son or a daughter? It refers to salvational judgment. And that's why also in the next verse he goes and he says, but the, the law is not a faith, but the one who does them, who does the things in the law shall live by them. So the law is a document or if you will, or it is a it is words that God has given us. That is, these are the things you need to do and you do them. It is things that you do. It's not just things that you believe yet, but you believe. And because you believe in God, therefore you do what he said. But in of itself, forgetting the belief part, the doing of the law is not it doesn't need belief. There are, in fact, people who do a lot of uh, the Torah commandments, what we call the Old Testament, but they don't believe in God. They do it because of tradition. There are people in churches who do things there, but they don't even believe. They just kind of do it because it's traditions with their mom and dad and their mom and dad. Is. So therefore doing things can be done without even having faith. And that's what the, the point is that he's trying to make here. But he's saying that is why but it is but it is faith that is the thing that saves you and from there will come the doing and then the doing will be holy and good and righteous and beautiful because it comes not just from some empty tradition or thing it or it or just words it will come from our love and faith in God and that relationship that you have with the father which is so much more than just that the greek mindset of yeah. i know something so i therefore i believe something and that's belief because I know it. Well, even the demons believe they know about Jesus and right. they tremble. So our faith is so much more than that. Faith is so much more. Right. And you need to remember, like these Galatians, they came out of paganism where they did have no such thing as a relationship. Yeah. So Paul is really actually this book is beautiful because he's trying to t teach us about relationship. He's trying to tell us, don't be like the pagans, how they their gods don't speak back. Their gods are deaf and dumb and. This is how the Galatians, their gods were. So Paul is saying, don't the way that you guys used to serve your gods is by just doing things because that's all you could ever do. You did have no relationship, but now have a relationship. Yes. A relationship is built on trust. We all know this trust, love, having faith, right? Those are things that a true relationship is built on, but those things cannot exist in a pagan God because he doesn't exist. There's no other God but one. And so Paul is saying, your God is alive, have a true relationship and then let your works follow. So in Galatians 3.13, we had just read a moment ago how Christ Yeshua redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So oftentimes we have heard that translated or interpreted to mean, well, Christ redeemed us from the law. Because the it's a curse. Yeah, the law is a curse. <laughs> but that's not what Paul is saying at all. The curse of the law. Exactly. So there's there's a part of the law. There's something about the yes. law that can be a curse, not the law in itself. Yes. It's the curse of the law. That's so important. What is the curse of the law? It's the punishment that the law brings when you break it. And what does the scripture say? What does Paul even say? 
for the wages of sin, sin is breaking the law, is death. The curse of breaking the law is death. So yeah. all Paul is saying here is that Yeshua took on death for us. He became, he died on our behalf so that we might live. Right. The distinction is, is that the law can be used as a curse when it is used for the wrong means and purpose, mm -hmm. something it was not made for. God made the law for a purpose. If you use it for something it was not made for, it becomes a curse for you. If you use the law to be your, to bring about your salvation, to do the works therein, to bring about your salvation, that will be a curse for you because you'll have to do everything perfectly. And what a burden that would be. Mm. But if the law is used for what it is meant for, it is good. It is great. It is perfect. It is holy. Right. And that is not to bring about salvation. So because then it is about trusting in God and then doing it. And then the curse of the law that was when you break the law will not come upon you, will not touch you because you're using the law for it was made for. And now you're trusting in God rather for your salvation and Yeshua mm -hmm. sacrifice. And now it's just blessing. And the reason I say it's blessing is because, well, God said in his word and that in the law, it says the law is this. Keep it and you will be blessed. Yes. It's like, see, it, it's if, if Paul is here saying the law is a curse, he is literally contradicting God and he is a false prophet because the word says that if someone contradicts the Torah and the prophets, that person is a false prophet. Moses wrote, if you do the law, it's a blessing. Mm -hmm. If you don't do the law, there's going to come a curse. Yes. That means if you are disobedient to it, there will be cursings that come upon your life. If you, the law says don't murder, but you murder, hey, you're going to get locked up. That's a curse. Mm -hmm. If the law says don't commit adultery, you commit adultery. Hey, there's going to come curses from that on you and, and probably your children. So blessings and cursings, that's what the law brings. But it's about do you keep it or not, but not for salvation because you want to walk like he did and you want to walk in the blessings that he promises. Okay, so now Paul is going to explain to us the covenants and how they what their relationship are with one another. Galatians 3 15 to give a human example, brothers, even with a man made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, has not annul the covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. So he is making a really good point, a very important point here. And to just explain this, you know, we can just think about it in modern terms. If you sign a rental contract, for example, right, you you're moving into a new place and you signing this contract and it's done and the landlord, they've signed it as well. Now I can't go and be like, okay, we sign it, but Hey, I just want to change this one thing that I forgot. I don't like it or, or this, no, you can't change something once it's been signed. I can't go and rip it up and be like, okay, it doesn't apply anymore either. Right. It's, it's there, it's signed, it's solid, and it is there for the term of the contract. And by the way, the covenants of God, God explained it to be forever, eternal. They don't pass away. Okay, so God's covenants don't stop. And he actually goes on and he says that the law 
which came 430 years after. What he means by that is Abraham's covenant was made. Okay, God made the covenant of Abraham, said you will, I promise, there's this promise of salvation and this massive offspring that people will come, the nations will be blessed through you. Okay, covenant made of Abraham. Now he says 430 years later, there's the Mosaic covenant made at Mount Sinai with Israel and the, the mixed multitude there. And now he's saying that this covenant, this Mosaic covenant does not annul, does not take away the Abrahamic covenant. It doesn't destroy it. It doesn't throw it out. It doesn't replace it. And he's making it. It's an important point because people believed that they forgot about the Abrahamic covenant. They forgot about that. The fact that salvation, the Abrahamic covenant was a covenant all about salvation. And that's and that that covenant is still an applic applicable and that you can't try now use the Mosaic covenant to bring about salvation because that was, was what was happening as people were trying to use the law given at the Mosaic um, Mount Sinai to bring about their salvation. So he's saying, OK, covenants don't replace one another. We have the Noahide covenant, the promise, of the, the, the promise of the rainbow and that it will never flood the earth. God will never flood the earth like that again. You know, we have all these covenants and they're still in effect today when another covenant came and didn't replace the other. And similarly, when the new covenant came with Yeshua, when Jesus came and he died for us, that did not replace the Mosaic covenant, it didn't replace the Abrahamic covenant. Didn't replace the Noah no, 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 no covenant, right? Didn't replace any of these covenants. Each covenant is important and builds on the next. So we have the Abrahamic covenant, that covenant of promise, that covenant of salvation, of faith. Abraham believed and was reckoned to him as righteousness. And then we have this covenant of the Mosaic covenant where God says blessings and cursings. That is what these laws are for. Do them. You will be blessed. Don't do them. There will be cursings that come. These are the instructions for life for you. They are not the instructions for saving you, but for giving you good life like on earth and blessings even going into the next place. Right. Being holy as he is holy. Exactly. Walking like he did. And now we have then the new covenant made with, if you will, the renewed, whatever you want to call it, where Yeshua basically took all of this. He took the Abrahamic covenant because he's the fulfillment of it. He is that promise fulfilled of bringing salvation to everyone. Right. And now he's coming and taking the Mosaic covenant, which is the laws. He walked out perfectly. That's how he walked. That was how he was, who he was. He walked. That's how he walked. And he was because he kept these laws. He didn't have sin. And I'll be all of this together. He takes and that is who he is. And that's what is the new covenant. He didn't throw it out. He didn't abolish it didn't replace it. He is now just building on. He brings us new revelation, more revelation. He brings it to fullness and to fulfill it, to bring it up, to fill it up. Exactly. And so just like I, if I had that rental contract and now I go to a different city while I still have this rental contract. Now I go sign a rental contract there with someone else. I can't come back to the previous owner and be like, hey, I don't I sign a different contract. Sorry, this one doesn't count anymore. Like, no, that's ridiculous, right? The, the contract is at until that contract is ended. If it's a your contract, then it's ended. But I can't just nullify because I signed another contract somewhere else. Same thing here. OK, one covenant doesn't become annulled because another one is made.
Reading on Galatians 3.18 For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come, to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Okay, so he says a few interesting things here. He says that the law was added because of transgressions. Now, what he means by that is simply, you know, if you are having, if you have a child and, you know, you have no, you haven't taught the child any rule yet about crossing the road, but then the one day the child just runs across the road and you're like, oh no, and you just, you know, you freak out about it and you tell him, no, don't do that. You're not allowed to cross the road. If I'm not with you, right? That's exactly what was what the law was, right? God gave these laws because He's wanting to protect us from the cars that's gonna run over the run us over the road, right? And basically, that's what it is. And that doesn't mean that the law is bad. In fact, the law is very good in that way because it guards us. And then He says, "Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Is the law?" opposition to it and basically what he's really saying here is is the mosaic covenant in opposition to the abrahamic covenant certainly not is the mosaic covenant of the laws given there in opposition to the promise of given to abraham of the salvation this salvation this jesus believing him it isn't no it's not an opposition because you see some people do think so some people think that you have the law on one side versus grace. We have the law versus, you know, um, uh, faith, right? Yeah. But it's not like that unless you think the law is supposed to do what the faith does, and that's to save you. But if you understand that what the law is for, they're not in opposition. They work together, in fact. Mm. Okay? The law brings you, uh, makes you more like Yeshua and that you do what he did. You walk in holiness, not for salvation. But then you have faith and belief and trust in him for salvation. And it works together beautifully. And I just want to clarify that when he says that if a law had been given that could give life, righteousness would indeed be by the law. When he talks about life there, he's talking about eternal life. He's not talking about the law, if it could only bring you any good in life. No, no, no. He's He's talking about to bring that life that Messiah brings. That when he says, drink of me and you will never go thirsty again. You can't drink of the law and never go thirsty again. All right. The law is the things you do. Right. It's things you can do to be more like Yeshua. But there, that is not the thing you drink of that gives you eternal life. It's trusting in him, faith in him, drinking of him, being fulfilled and satisfied by him because the Holy Spirit is in you. Takes out that spirit of the world, puts in the Holy Spirit, takes out the heart of stone, gives you a heart of flesh. And now you're more like him. Now you want to actually do the law because it becomes written on your heart. Jeremiah 31 verse 31. Law is written on your heart and you want to do more things that he did because of that Holy Spirit in you. You become more like Abraham because he had that faith. Now you want to obey. You desire to obey. 
And then we, when we read on, it says, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Now, what that simply means is before Yeshua, right, faith, that thing we could put our faith in came, we were held captive under the law and that there was no good news yet. There was only bad news. And that is what that captivity under the law is, is before Yeshua came, the bad news was that hey, you have a lot of sin to deal with. The law is, in fact, a thing that points out our faults, our sin, because if the law tells you stop doing this, but you know you do it, just like Paul said, I, I, the things I don't want to do, I do, etc. Okay, he's, that's how the law kept us captive, because there was no hope. It was just bad news. There was no, you know, except for the hope and the coming king, the coming salvation, but in ourselves, there was no hope. And so that's why it says until the coming faith was revealed, we were held captive under the law. But now we're not held captive under the law anymore because we know that even though the law shows us our sins, he takes our sins. And so the law now does a good work on us because it actually points out our faults, the things we need to work on to be made more into his image. But it doesn't have us captive because we don't trust in our works and the things that it's pointing out is wrong in our lives to save us. All right, moving on, we're about to get to the verses where Paul describes the Torah, the law, as like a schoolmaster, like a guardian. So let's read on. Yeah, this is a very, very misunderstood part oftentimes mm -hmm. in, in this chapter. So we read the following. Galatians 3.24 So then the law, the Torah, was our schoolmaster until Messiah came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For in Messiah Yeshua, Christ Jesus, we are all sons of God through faith. Now, this part is really interesting because oftentimes it's been interpreted as the following, that the law is this thing that taught us at some point, like in the old covenant. And now in the new covenant, it's done because now it, and now that Christ has come, we don't need that law, that schoolmaster or anything it has taught us at all, because now we just have Christ. And let me just challenge you. Let's take a step back from that. Let's just really understand and think about what is what is a schoolmaster? What does it mean for the law to be that? What what does it mean in re, in real life to be that? So, take an example. When you went to university or school of any kind, you had a teacher, a schoolmaster, professor that was over you, and when you were under that professor, you could either flunk the class, he could either flunk you in that class because you do poorly, or he could give you great grades because you're doing well, you're studying hard, you're doing what you should be doing. He could even punish you if you're, exactly. if, if it's, if we're talking about school, yeah. you know, they could punish you, put you in detention. Yeah. You could be expelled from the school if you really act up. But the point is that you're under that professor in that time and you can, he can grade you well or grade you poorly based on your performance hmm. and how well you're you know, taking in everything that you're learning. After you graduate, you're done, you graduate from university. Does that professor, that English professor, that math professor now have authority over you as a graduated adult? 
No, he's not going to come chasing you and saying, no, you did that math problem yeah, wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine your professor coming into a workplace and grabbing you by the ear and saying, yeah, you made a mistake and I'm going to go put you in detention. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be like, what? That's ridiculous. Right? However, once you graduate, you then be like, okay, well, I'm not under my professor anymore. I can just throw out everything I learned. One plus one does not equal two. It equals five. And I'm going to tell everyone it equals five because I've graduated. I don't need that professor. I don't need anything I learned. No, of you see, that's, that's now we're coming to a very prideful place because yes. if you believe that the, you, can, you can understand that you're no longer under your professor's authority, yes. but you can't think that everything he's ever taught you is not important or, you know, is trash or whatever. In fact, what he taught you was important so that you can excel once you graduate so that you can take that further, mm. that you can walk out everything you learn so that you can, can, you can get a good career, that you can do well in life. Exactly. So you're supposed to, once you graduate, not forget everything you learned. Oh, you're not under your professor, you're not under your schoolmaster, so you no longer need anything you learned because you've surpassed that. No, you take everything you learned yeah. from that schoolmaster and now you walk it out. You don't need him to teach you anymore because exactly. you already know it and you are walking it out. Exactly. So and this is really what he's saying. The law was our schoolmaster. That is, he's saying that we were, we are taught by it, right? We are taught one plus one is two by it. We're taught that murder is wrong. We're told that adultery is wrong. We're told the basic 101s, right? Just like at that university. And, but, and then back then before Christ came, Right before we graduated, if you will, we were held under the punishment of the law if, if we had done something wrong. Basically, we had no hope of salvation. We had none of that because we would just be get locked up. Right. We would be sent to the Gehenna without him. Right. But now that we have graduated, we are now working for a boss. We're not there anymore. We are now going to still apply everything we were taught by that professor, everything we were taught by the law, we will still apply in our lives. In fact, if you don't, you're going to get in big trouble with your boss now, even bigger trouble than you would have as a kid, because now you have more responsibility as an adult. And that's what, what Yeshua is saying when he says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. Where? From your schoolmaster. You have heard it said, do not murder. Where? from your schoolmaster, the law. But I tell you, see, he's the boss. He says, I tell you, if you just hate your brother, you've committed murder. I tell you, if you just look at a woman of lust, you've committed adultery. You see here what's happening is he's not saying you've heard it said by your schoolmaster, don't commit adultery. I tell you, forget about that part, man. You can do that. It's okay. You forget about the law. Forget about what the law taught you. No, the law wasn't this. The schoolmaster isn't this thing. Okay, we had the law. Oh, no, Christ came until now. It's now we have this thing that Christ has done. And now we just look. Christ has told us everything about the law. He said in Matthew 5, do not think I came to abolish it. I came to fulfill it and give it meaning. And so that's the same thing. Many people also believe that that only the things that Christ reiterated about the law is still important. Well, imagine that you, you've, you've been in university, right? You learned um, one plus one, okay? And now you get to your boss and you're talking about things way more advanced than one plus one. I'm sure you can relate if you've had any education that when you get into the real world, no one is talking about one plus one anymore, okay? But however, the principle of one plus one 
doesn't have to be reiterated because everyone assumes that you know it. That's exactly how it is with Messiah. He didn't teach us in depth about keeping the Sabbath because everyone already was keeping it. We're talking about first century here. Everyone was keeping it, it was built into the laws of the land even. Right. So there were laws that he didn't explicitly taught or teach on that were in the law just because everyone is going to like, Duh, why would you even teach us? Because everyone knows it's like teaching one plus one to a medical PhD. You understand? So that this is what Paul is saying here, because now we have graduated to this place where we are. We're assuming more responsibility and now we are. We have to walk like Christ did in obedience to the law. But even more than that, now in this thing called love, now in this thing called um, giving life, you know, going going even further than what the law um, asks us to do, going the extra mile. He's, your enemy strikes you on your one cheek, you turn the other. Things like that. And so now when we read on here in verse 27, we read for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. You're all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And so this is a very famous verse, right? You're neither slave nor free, no male or female. Does that mean that there's no such thing as a male or a female anymore? That God doesn't count that as a distinction worthy to be made? No, of course, that's still there. But what he is really just trying to say here is the next verse explains it. And if you are Christ and you're Abraham's offspring, all of you are heirs according to the promise. It, he's saying that. Just because you're a female, just because you are, there is a patriarchal patriarchy culture over you and you're thrown aside like it was in the first century. That's why Yeshua, Jesus always often appeared to women. That's why the first, the, the gospel was first given to a woman to proclaim, right? A Samaritan woman. A Samaritan woman at the well. Go and tell everyone I have come, right? Remember? Okay, so he was basically doing that on purpose because he's, this message is that what he's giving there even. No male or female. Everyone is a part of this promise. If you're a slave or free, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are, your race, your anything, your nation, your color, your ethnicity, your your um, your your gender, your um, but also your genealogy. Right. Very important. Gentile or Jew, it doesn't matter. You're all one in Christ. Mm. And it's important too to know, because in Ephesians 2, we read about that wall of partition yes that was torn down that dividing wall of hostility and was that what is that dividing wall of hostility we see that even in acts 10 where peter you know god told peter to go to cornelius because you know cornelius had a dream and anyways it was against the man-made laws to perhaps for a jew to eat with a gentile as we talked about in the previous video you could not go eat with a Gentile if you were a Jew. You could not fellowship with them. They were unclean. They were unclean to you. Oh no, stay away from those dirty Gentiles, those dogs. But it's but man-made law. It was a man-made law. It's... And Yeshua broke down that man-made law of hostility where there was that distinction between Jew, Gentile, slave, mm. free. Like, no, you are mm. one. Man, mm. woman, you are one in Messiah. You are both heirs, all heirs to the promise. Not even that, even there's even the veil that was torn. Yeah. Okay. Remember in the temple, there was this veil that was torn. So that is the veil that um, is the, the, also part of that wall of separation, if mm -hmm. you will. 
and we also have a, a lot of in the temple when the temple was there we the had a lot yeah, yeah. In some cases, there was even a lot of discrimination against Gentiles and Jews. If you weren't a Jew by blood, you can't do anything. You can't come in. You can't be a part of the temple service or worship in, in many cases. In the tabernacle in the temple, there was the court of the women. There was the court of the Gentiles. And they could not go in as as far as the, the Jewish male could because there was these distinct, this distinction that had been made. But when Yeshua came, he broke down and he opened up these doors that it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter who you are, woman, Gentile, <laughs> slave or free, you're all welcome in. That veil is torn. You're welcome into the commonwealth of Israel, into the, the promises, the covenants of God. Amen. All right, guys, that wraps it up for chapter three of Galatians. We hope that this one has blessed you. Mm-hmm. There's a lot in here, so go listen to it again if it was a little overwhelming. We know it's a lot of information. But um, in the next video, we're going to go into chapter four and uh, we hope that that will bless you as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe, you like this video, you share it with your friends and uh, we'll see you in the next video. Exactly. Blessings and shalom. Shalom.